Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. And Michael, this week we have we have a guest that I'm really excited about. Somebody we've been talking about having on the pod since it began. Yes. We are bringing to you Christopher Daniel Thomas, filmmaker, content creator, TikTok extraordinaire. Provocateur. The man is the new Andy Warhol, and his 15 minutes isn't anywhere near the end. Christopher, welcome to the pod. Hey, guys. <laughs> Happy to be on... Uh... <laughs> I, the, my favorite uh, mid-level leftist podcast. What a pleasure! Good to it's be with so both. generous of you to call us mid-level. Wow, <laughs> yeah. when, when did we when did we get become mid-level, Michael? I I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> all of ten sec all of ten seconds ago. Well, now that we have uh, Christopher Thomas here, now we're in the big a, time. That was that was exactly the moment when. Uh, so we're going to talk about a lot, a lot of things. Uh, Michael, give us a little bit of an intro this week. Well, before we intro the topic of this here podcast, which is in fact biblical counseling, uh, the form mm. of counseling where psychology is evil, anything that's wrong with you is either <laughs> your sin or demons, and also mental illness doesn't exist. Uh, right. So we're going to be diving into that. Uh, but first, before we get do that, I want to spend a little time getting to know uh, Christopher a little better because Christopher got himself into some hot water this weekend. He uh, he he ended up receiving a letter from a church for reasons. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Chris, take us through that. I live across the street from arguably a mega church, Baptist mega church. I don't know what's the mm -hmm. what's the qualification for what makes something a mega church. I would say that if you have your own police cars there every week, you probably count as a megachurch. Yep, that's... that's. Uh, this is also going to become like a, how do you know, your redneck if sort of <laughs> jokes. Yeah, so yeah. We, can, we can move forward. If your pastor is abusive, it, it doesn't mean you're a megachurch. You might just be a church. <laughs> it, it's definitely a pretty big one. They've got about six or seven trailers in their parking lot with big Israel signs and American flags and bald eagles. And that's like the headquarters of their global Israel ministry. Mm. So I think that, that that's a mega church, right? Yeah. Uh, the f I, I'm disturbed by the phrase global Israel ministry. Uh, let's move forward. <laughs> so I, I like needling them a little bit because they have a big sign in their yard and they're always posting pretty offensive things like, uh, we'll never forget what the Muslims did to us and, you know, stuff like wow. that. Oh, no. So, oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, after dealing with that for a few years, I thought I might... I might go out and do a TikTok where I like pretend to change their sign to something else. So they had a Memorial Day sign up, mm -hmm. um, pro troops, all that sort of thing. And I sure. changed it to a Cardi B lyric and cut it all together with some sound, <laughs> posted it, and uh, it ended up getting way too many views. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is, this is going to backfire. Uh, lo and behold, about two days later, I got a knock on the door from. I thought it was the sheriff, but it was just a it was just a postal officer. But they had tracked down my address, my name, all of that somehow, just from that TikTok, and Whoa. they um, sent Whoa. me a legal letter. <laughs> I did not realize that this was like delivered to you by a person. I thought this was just a piece of mail you received, but no, that's wild. So I. 
I, I, I want to get to the letter, but yeah, first of, of all, I want to say it's pretty terrifying to me that you have a TikTok that doesn't have your name attached to it. Like, the, your TikTok does not say Christopher Daniel Thomas. It You know, it, 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 it says Rockbridge Island, right? Correct. And they somehow managed to find your freaking address and full name from that. Definitely kind of creepy. Uh, I, I was uh, I was a little rattled, probably, which was I think their we intention. All- yeah, I think we all remember when Jesus went to Caiaphas' home and told him to step the fuck off. <laughs> it's also a little weird that I'm literally like 100 yards from them, so they could have just hand-delivered it, but they sent it to a mail that went to a postal hub and then was then was delivered to my mailbox across the street, which is very, very Christian, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, you know, I, I think that's in the Bible in Matthew when it says if, if a brother wrongs you, you should, pro- you should send a process server. <laughs> That's just how it works. I've got the letter here. So, yes. So do t- so. Tell us about this letter. First off, I want to say along the top, it's on official letterhead. It says Trinity Baptist Church <laughs> Emergency <laughs> Operations Ministry. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Congratulations on being a church emergency. <laughs> that that's uh, ki- kind of flattering, but also, how is it a ministry? <laughs> What is that? <laughs> it's a ministry in the same way that, you know, Ministry of Defense, you know. Like. <laughs> All right, well done. And they've got my full name here, which they somehow found. I'll, I'll keep Oof. their name private because I'm not trying to dox anybody. Uh, and it says, Dear Christopher Thomas, the purpose of this letter is to immediately notify you, as of today, you are not permitted to be physically present at any time and for any reason on the property of our church located at, and then it has their address. On this date, a written warning of trespass has been communicated to you by TBC staff. Therefore, you're being delivered this communication. Please understand it is with both regret and prayer that this action (laughs) is taken on behalf of the church and staff. But please do not mistake that love and prayer for a lack of resolve in this matter. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) And then this part is bolded and underlined. Like, we're getting down to brass tacks here. Do not be physically present on our property or on the property of any staff member without the expressed and agreed consent of staff, which must be secured prior to such visit by contacting us. I I love the gloss. I'm sure Michael has other points, but the gloss of like love and prayer. It's like you did a TikTok and now they're threatening you with stand my ground shit. Oh yeah, the, the subtext like, of this is absolutely you will be shot on sight. We're going to shoot your ass. It's a good thing well, you don't also, live mere I... yards away from this place, or that could be worrisome. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I was I was almost kind of glad that it was this and not like the Cole Christian like, uh, we saw your video and we want to invite you to worship with you know, like turning the other cheek sort of thing. It kind of made yeah, me relieve yeah. that it it kind of made me relieve that it was this like tribalistic uh, very Trumpy, stand your ground sort of uh, correspondence. Because I was like, that was kind of my point to begin with. That's that's why I'm provoking you is because I knew this would come out. Yeah, there was no, <laughs> hey man, let's get coffee and talk about how wrong you are. They went straight to uh, 
yeah uh we're, we're coming for your ass we know how to find you it reminds me a lot of the mark driscoll stuff we did a few weeks ago of him like hiring security mm. firms to like hunt uh people down from his church and keep tabs on them like please be aware of any white vans or large trucks just sort of hanging out in your vicinity gulp <laughs> i'm i'm uh it's really upsetting i'm gonna be really upset when cdt gets human trafficked by his church <laughs> i'm gonna be really upset when cdt disappears for a bit and then he comes back and he's like hey guys i joined the church i'm really happy now <laughs> and then he shoots jfk that's how it started <laughs> uh that's terrifying didn't they also and we can cut this if you don't want to mention didn't they also mention you during the service uh, later i like a, the following weekend a teen from that church messaged me on tiktok and said hey by the way i wanted you to know that we prayed for you um during our service oh i just God. wanted to know i, I just want to know if they played the tiktok or not just for like just just for reference you know <laughs> maybe like a little maybe they did a little pixelation of the cardi b lyrics or something you know but just you know your enemy right what if what if they played the whole video? What if they played the entire WAP video in solemn and they were nodding the whole time, being like, "This is what we're contending with." <laughs> Unabridged. <laughs> Just nodding solemnly, like this is what our youth are fighting against: moist vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> the real enemy. Total depravity is, I believe, what they what what they um they called what they prayed for in me um the the last I, the last paragraph of this letter was probably the most strange which i can also read to you yes it it's a little bit legalese here but trinity baptist church is privately owned and is such entitled under law to restrict and or and or deny access to property and to bar you from attendance for worship for any other purpose or reason. That's just really weird that um, with with no violent threat or anything like that, that they would tell somebody that you're not even allowed to like come worship here or repent. It's just like a clean um, excommunication. That's like a little frightening to me. Yeah, you got church disciplined without ever stepping foot inside <laughs> the church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it it's it's not a great feeling for the other side not that i'm like really afraid that they're going to do anything but just getting a taste of like throughout history if uh, people got serious letters like this serious excommunication letters and it's just a little frightening to have you know institutional power just like um turn and focus on an individual it's like very, very a little bit frightening yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in this sense, it's a little silly because you don't care. You're not attending this church. But, like, yeah, still, the wheels of power turned, and uh, both, like, political and religious institutions were able to center in on you directly with basically no effort. I mean, they two days later, this is at your door threatening you. And God forbid if you were a member of that church, if these were people that you considered community, if this was something that, like, actually mattered to you, uh, how mm -hmm. upsetting that would be. Yeah, and also, I, I gotta be real with you here. I don't want churches to be able to, like, dox and threaten people from what, at that point, was an anonymous TikTok account. That's concerning to me. Yeah, that's a little... When they can find out great. where you live from a TikTok. Given churches' uh, historic treatment of young people, shall we say. 
Exactly. Something we'll be wow. covering on this podcast. So, Christopher, this is actually not your first uh, first foray into the wild world of evangelical insanity. This is this is sort of old hat for you um, because oh, we brought you on. Go ahead. I was gonna say absolutely. That's part of the reason why I like needling with this church across the street. Is they're a little bit stuck in time and remind me of like the church that I grew up in in the '90s, which has now developed into you know like a more millennial skinny jean stereotype sort of a place but you know being in North Carolina uh, some of these places are a bit of a throwback to the 90s and uh, you know I can't help but uh, uh, needle them a little bit back in return. (laughs) 90s nostalgia Uh, is in baby they're bringing it back. (laughs) I'm excited for your next TikTok where you burn the church down. (laughs) (laughs) I am not excited for that TikTok if only because as previously mentioned they have cops on the premises and have warned you what will happen. We're, we're, we're Do not taking... give these people a reason to think they are defending themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Christopher, you, like us, grew up in the the warm bosom of evangelical America. I'm actually a little bit like some other guests that you've had on the show and grew up in a regular Baptist church, which I think was might be a little bit different than than what you two were raised in. Yes. So tell us a little bit about uh, the, your religious upbringing, if you don't mind. Well, uh, one of your previous guests explained regular Baptist churches as... Um, yeah, I think that was Kelsey. I think Kelsey, yeah, Kelsey s- said that a lot of churches, conservative churches, are involved in the culture war, but in this specific denomination, they don't want to have anything to do with the culture war. They want to transcend the culture war. Mm. So, you know, we basically... I, I was in the denomination of the Indiana Fellowship of Regular Baptist Churches, which just means that this is like a group of people that hates authority, hates any side of outside power, but also wants the advantages of being in a gang. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're like the cops. So it's it was basically Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> they all they all band together so that they can mess with other people, but it's under like the pretenses that no church can absolutely under any circumstances tell another one what to do or mess with their business. But we all will occasionally band together to go to Mike Pence rallies or write letters against Chick-fil-A or, you know, I mean, in favor of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> 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 the uh, the the true the true passion of the regular Baptist preserving chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, it couldn't be Sons of Anarchy because, uh, you know, drugs actually make people feel good. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there was, uh, they, were, they were not those kinds of pornographers. <laughs> so what was that like? Like, you know, as a kid, like, I know that you, I grew up watching TVs and movies, and that's why my brain is melted. But, like, you were a little bit more separate from that. Totally. Um like on Twitter, I hear a lot of like Christians bonding over the nostalgia of like things like Veggie Tales or Adventures in mm-hmm. Odyssey, mm-hmm. and in our circle, those things were actually too secular, believe it or not. So, um, wow. we if we were watching a Veggie Tales in Sunday school, you better believe that teacher had the hand on the um, fast forward button for any song that <laughs> sounded vaguely ethnic. Or had any sort of um, non uh, non white musical influence. That song was getting fast forwarded. Any wow. any sort of 
rap or rap talking, you know, those the, those aren't going to our kids' ears. So, if if you just start talking in a vaguely sort of like four eight beat, people are gonna freak out. Exactly. There was some anti P racism happening in your Sunday school. <laughs> They were uh, they were they were anti there was some anti Italian prejudice going on that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> wow, so that's uh that's a little bit intense. We still found ways to like listen to what we wanted to and watch what we want sure. to, but it was really weird like in our schools in the handbook like it would be written you're not allowed to talk about pop culture, which I think that's a little bit uh more extreme than 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 might be found in other places like to not even be able to mint you can't reference pop culture you can't have pictures up you're supposed to the idea was that you're supposed to be totally so separate and removed from the world that people would just look at you and wonder wow that person is living a life that's so different than me could you please tell me where you get the power to live such this this such a weird and unusual life and then that's where you get to say oh because i'm a child of god i i'm not enslaved to all the things that you're trapped in and let me tell you and like that's kind of the wet dream of the regular baptist church uh that's the wap of the regular <laughs> yeah that, that, that a great analog yes <laughs> <laughs> i uh and the thing I, is i, I, I Go ahead. The thing is that never happened. I was always told that that would happen, and it never happened. Nobody was ever like, "Wow, those culottes you're wearing are so unusual." <laughs> tell me about. Tell, please tell me about the doctrine of common grace. <laughs> uh, that's so funny because growing up in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, despite not having some of the same restrictions on pop culture, although function, you know, my family participated in a Disney boycott for years, you know, there was some of that too. But um, I was also told that I needed to be radiating my Christianity in such a way that like people would just come up to me and ask. People would just be so blown away by how this this model of of Christian grace that they would they would approach me in the street. And similarly, that was not often my experience. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about it is like they always like point to be like that's what happened to Jesus, and it's like yeah, Jesus also told people to give away all their money and like <laughs> fed people. Like what? Like actually, like 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 CDT perfectly joked like it wasn't culottes that Jesus like was wearing. <laughs> it wasn't that he had some kind of weird sandals or didn't know the the latest Roman beats. He did things in the community. <laughs> I just wanted for you to demonstrate some Roman beats for us. <laughs> uh, I am not the I'm not the person on this call bringing in the Italian pride, Michael. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, so, Christopher, <laughs> your church also had kind of a unique uh, unique claim to fame in that. It was one of these sort of homes for biblical counseling at its very beginning, correct? It was the the offices for the National Certifying Organization were headquartered there for probably close to a decade. Wow. And then the senior pastor of my church was the president of the National Certifying. And please know that I'm making air quotes around all of these terms. <laughs> <laughs> National Certified um, Organization. Um, 
I'll, you can cert, you can certify anything, baby. Like Liberty University, it's just uh, not accredited. I guess would be the the term. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It uh, it exists solely for the people that already uh, put stock in such things as credible. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, yeah. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that that head pastor? Oh gosh, this is the this is mid nineties. Nope. Let me go back to the 70s. I was yes. bored in the yes. 90s. As always, let us return to the 70s. <laughs> and I, I guess there definitely was in like secular psychology or secular therapy, there was definitely a lot of weird things going on in in the 70s as far as, as therapeutic treatment goes. Most most of which was like a knee jerk reaction to uh, the fifties and sixties, um, but at that point in time, um, I guess a lot of evangelical pastors dug in their heels and said, "We had enough. We're not going to counsel from um, any of this stuff. It doesn't add any benefit to pastoral care, and we're going to start our own ministry." So, um, my my senior pastor was, I guess, one of the lead guys spearheading that movement and decided to start a ministry um, in the church basement, counseling people in the community with marriage problems and anorexia and other things that they probably weren't qualified to be talking about. Um, and that's been going on for about 30 years. But when I was when I came around in the 90s, it was something they'd been doing for a long time. And I was kind of growing mm-hmm. up with the story that this is something that we are good at. And like with the community loves us for doing this. And every February, about two or 3,000 people would fly in all over the world to hear from our pastors. And you, you know how that just gives you like a little evangelical boner as a kid, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Only thing that uh, turned me and, on and, until I was like solidly 21. Now, <laughs> I, I, I'll be real. I was going around with a lot of like little boners as a kid anyway, but <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can try to move past that. Mm. In my experience with all of that, you know, I, I'm not a counselor, although I did enroll in the training, the first year training course to be one. Um, yes. wow. and I'm not a theologian. I didn't go to seminary. However, my younger brother both completed the program and completed seminary and regularly biblical, biblically counsels. Um, but I did not do that, but my experience with it was, I guess, as a more of a documentarian, I was there, I was in charge of filming some of the sessions, um, mm. listening to a lot of the audio from other sessions to write scripts, to train other counselors, um, my dad was a uh, pediatrician who was on like the board of people who were deciding their policy of how to deal with cases that have to do with medication and things like that. So I soaked up a lot of those experiences. And so, so you were I'm... truly in the belly of the beast with this. Like you were, you were in the room. Yes. Yeah. And I, I for I, I want you to continue in two seconds. I just want to give a brief amount of context for our listeners. This is so prevalent that like even in the SBC where my dad was a pastor, it was considered normal. This idea that had been birthed uh, in, in CDT's church, basically, had become so prevalent in evangelical and Protestant and sort of, you know, not mainline Protestants uh, sort of circles that like pastors were just doing biblical counseling for everything that like marriage counseling from pastors was de rigor like this was like this became a super mainstream idea uh in the culture and this is where it it came out of please continue christopher where you were at were they um were they 
because there's like premarital counseling, which is something that I think is a lot more widespread. Um, and then that's probably been going on forever. Like, all right, before you get married, you need to talk with a pastor mm. and they're going to talk through the mechanics of it all, if you will. Um, and then... so they, they... <laughs> the mechanics I of did marriage, see post, as it were. Like, currently marital counseling too. I want to talk a little bit more about Jay Adams. Cause that was your head pastor or a guy that was at your church. That was he's that's the father of the movement and then his offices were located in my church and gotcha. he was kind of partnering with with my head pastor so yeah I, it's kind of crazy as i was doing a little research on this how much all of this sprung uh basically from one man's brain it has since become a quite wide discipline as zach pointed out uh the seminary that i grew up next to you could get uh, a dozen different degrees in various forms of like biblical counseling that was like a thing that was very common and not only was it very common mm. but i knew a lot of women that went that route because it was one of the few kinds of ministry that women were allowed to participate Ooh. in uh, and so it was it was a yeah. very common thing for like if if uh, there was a, a woman that was attending that seminary, there was a very good chance that she was going the biblical counseling route. Uh, but going back to the 60s and J.E. Adams writing or I guess his 1970 book, Competent to Counsel, uh, was sort of the beginning of all of this. And that guy had offices at your church. Right, Christopher? That's true. And if there's one guy, I guess, to keep in mind with to envision the biblical counseling movement, you would have to go with with Jay Adams. He's, I, I would say he's like the L. Ron Hubbard of biblical counseling. He he wrote over 150 books on the topic. Very, very prolific. Yeah, yeah. And, and not unlike L. Ron Hubbard, deeply distrusted psychology and psychiatry. Ooh, I never <laughs> thought of that. That's that's perfect. I, I, it really does. It uh, it definitely strikes me like reading through some of this because it, it really existed as a pushback against, uh, you know, forms of counseling in the church that were relying on psychological methods developed outside the church. And his whole innovation was just like no to all of that. Nothing, no knowledge can be helpful or exist for Christians outside of the Bible. And so this whole movement, when you hear biblical counseling, just think like anti-psychology, anti-psychiatry, sola scriptura, any problem that you encounter in the world world can be uh, solved with various Bible verses. That's it. That's why I failed my driving exam the first five or six times because I <laughs> you kept just closed this, your like, eyes and prayed <laughs> reading reading fucking Malachi yeah. and you know it just <laughs> apparently did not work. You're just searching searching desperately through the uh, the little directory of topics trying to find one that says parallel parking in the back of your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, Look, sure, I killed a few people first, but whatever. Zach, do you believe the scriptures are sufficient for life and godliness or not? <laughs> Everything we need. Everything we need. It, it reminds me a lot of um, the evangelical problems with like uh, QAnon, where these these folks see some a real problem in society that's valid, mm -hmm. and then their mm -hmm. response, since they don't know anything about the system, is to torch all knowledge, all knowledge-bearing institutions, and say, we're going to do mm. it all ourselves from the ground up based on the one valid criticism that we have. Um, and in doing yes. that, they somehow end up promoting a system that's even more <laughs> even more messed up than what they set out to criticize because they because they have no idea what they're talking about 
Yeah, and that's actually a, that's a great parallel. It's a it's a really important point, and I, I think if we're connecting biblical psychology to other issues we've discussed on the podcast, uh, you can just think of it as the same kind of Christian separatism that uh, informs you know the evolution debate, uh, stuff like the Creation mm-hmm. Museum. Uh, you know, it, it it is all connected to this like all knowledge that exists outside of Scripture is invalid, and. Uh, you see the circling the wagons in dozens of disciplines and psychology is a big one because pastors end up doing a lot of counseling. I'm not saying they should, but that Mm -hmm. ends up being a regular part of the work. So it became a very important thing. And that's why I think it's interesting that this comes out of the regular Baptist movement and this like very Christian separatist idea that we are called to live completely outside of the world, but then it ends up being mainstreamed as like the sort of right wing culture war takes over the church. Mm. Uh, it ends up being this very popular notion that, yeah, like me and Zach both grew up with um, lots of people totally. that were getting biblical counseling degrees. So I do have their first, their three key beliefs for us to run through real quick. And then maybe we can get into some of the specifics of Chris's experience actually being in the room, seeing these methods apply, seeing people being harmed in real time from behind a video camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Oof. first belief. We believe that the Bible is sufficient for life and that when properly interpreted, it reveals to the believer all the data necessary for one to understand his need for Christ, how he can please the world, and how to live in a God-honoring way, regardless of the circumstances, whether comfortable or oppressive. That is a hell of a claim. They, they're scrying some serious bones for that. Yeah, they're, that, is, that is a pretty universal claim to be making. All of the data necessary. Also notice it's he. Everything is he. How he can please the Lord. Interesting, that. Uh, The second, the Bible is also the authoritative source for which all truth claims, including claims made by science and history. As a result, we reject all counseling theories that use presuppositions, principles, and or methodologies that are inconsistent with the proper interpretation of the biblical text. You know, there's just a lot riding on that use of proper. Yeah, it's, it's a weighted word, as it were. Third, yeah. we believe that genuine heart change is totally dependent on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, thus, our view of counseling includes the importance of prayer, dependence on God, a thorough knowledge of the Word of God, and the understanding of ministering to all people. So, that's, I think, has enough bible words that maybe the toxicity of it doesn't ring through as clearly as it, as it uh, does in practice. But uh, the Bible is mm. sufficient for all data, meaning that like anything you're dealing with, any any, and as we'll see, specifically issues like depression, mental illness, struggling with uh, being a victim of various forms of assault, all all of that can be summed up with the three verses in Ezekiel. Uh, Second, no truth exists unless the Bible says so. Uh, so spaghetti does not exist. It's not in the Bible. Sorry. I'm sorry to be a spaghetti truther on the podcast. Some more anti-Italian discrimination. Um, I must be one of those uh, self-hating Italians that uh, people keep yelling about on the internet. And three, but, but go ahead. Uh, you can't get better without the Holy Spirit. There is no way for you to improve without the Holy Spirit. Yes. There's a there's a lot of a mentality that the work that other people, other practitioners are doing is surface level, but we're doing the real transforming work of changing people's core issues. That's 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 a very big part of the story they tell themselves about what they're doing. Yeah, I, I saw reference several times I was reading through this stuff that like they refer to it as soul work. 
You know, other mm. other things might be trying to help your mind or even your body, but we're doing the work of the soul. Yeah, soul. Which, soul work is uh, that was definitely a horror movie made in the early nineties. Which, from you know, like being in the room where it happens, or like following up on people after they have relapses from from this biblical counseling, I I, I don't know that it's that it's accurate. A lot of times, uh, the biblical counselors themselves are are, are applying some pretty surface level solutions. I, I think overall, those three tenets are are fine. Um, if we want to say like the Bible has answers that can help people, uh, like, of course it does. And of course you can extract some huge life-giving <laughs> truths from the Bible, but there's kind of like a big difference between how that starts and like, uh, where they, where they go with that. Yeah. So maybe walk us through that from your experiences, you know, recording these sessions, listening to this audio, uh, quite literally being in the offices where this all began, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not to quote Hamilton at you, but you're in the room where it happened. Yeah, the third best Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. <laughs> Ooh, hot take. Spicy. I love it. I don't know shit about Lin-Manuel Miranda. They're, they're claiming that the Bible is sufficient, which I, I would actually kind of agree with. But their understanding of the Bible and their application of the Bible is very limited and it is very is only applied in a very specific niche. Particularly, there's this overemphasis on the individual repentance and the individual causing their own problems. And completely off their radar is any sort of thing, any sort of systemic uh, sins or sins that could be baked into uh, generations. And so sure they're using the bible maybe to solve some limited problems but it, it leaves them completely blind to to uh <laughs> most <laughs> to most of the problems oh yeah absolutely there there's no understanding of systemic oppression much less uh anyone's responsibility for systemic issues in society uh there all problems exist and this is a debate in the biblical counseling world from what i read either your sin or demons and there's a, a running debate over how much of it is you and how much of it is the demons yes exactly i uh printed out a quote from jay adams uh, competent to counsel which i think just sums up how warped this this thinking gets um w- when they try to apply those three principles to actually solving people's problems and in this section of his book is called People with personal problems often use camouflage. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Um, and this is this is pretty disturbing. He says um, in 1977, "What then is wrong with the mentally ill? Their problem is autogenic. It is in themselves." The fundamental bent of fallen human nature is away from God. Man is born in sin and goes astray and will therefore naturally attempt various sinful dodges in attempt to avoid facing up to his sin. He will fall into varying styles of sin according to the short-term successes or failures of the particular sinful responses which he makes to life's problems. And then this is the kicker. Apart from organically generated difficulties like brain damage, the mentally ill are actually people with unsolved personal problems. Ooh. Oh, that's I, uh, I, I, seems like a big claim. The, the the hair on my arm still stands up when I read that, just because. Whew. I mean, you can you can read into that quote. 
you can read that quote and you can think of the tens of thousands of people who have been shamed and harmed uh, by those beliefs uh, from people who went to seminaries to learn how to tell people that their mental illness is a sin issue. It's incredible to me that you would take something that, that's sort of somewhat of a base truth that people, uh, you know, do struggle, uh, struggle with depravity in the world around them, blah, blah, blah. No one's perfect, to put it in, like, really stupid terms. And you would be like, that means that their mental illness, their, let's just say, schizophrenia, it's their fault. It's their fault because they were jacking it in youth group or something. Uh- and unless they were in like a car accident and had major brain damage or something like that, yes, they they would say that it's their fault. That's amazing. It's an amazingly amazingly uh, on its face. To, uh, you know, we all we all can tell a terrible claim to make. Yeah, uh, and and you saw this belief play out a little bit in one of the sessions that you sent me, uh, Christopher. I'm not sure if we're there yet or if you have other stuff you want to share, but you sent me an actual biblical counseling session from a a husband and wife, a pastor and his wife, uh, that Mm -hmm. was their actual session that was recorded and then posted on YouTube as if it was a fictional reenactment. But according to you, it was not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't don't know if you want to walk us through that or... um, because I, I watched that, and it, it you talk about hair standing up on your arm. There were just so many really scary moments. Major red flags. Yeah, I would love to jump into that, because I thought that was a very telling uh, case study. Um, before we get there, I wanted to briefly give you an example of one other case study, just to explain kind yes. of who these guys are and where they're coming from. Please. Uh, I would say with biblical counselors, there might be kind of two branches. One might be your local guy who's read a book sometime and just has this idea to throw your medications away and trust Jesus. And it's like a very yokel, (laughs) very, you know, uh, not not very sophisticated, but this actual association, the National Association of Nuthetic Counselors, as it was called in my day, day, these are guys who are pride themselves on being smart and vigilant and listening to the details of people's stories and trying Mm -hmm. to get to what they believe is the true heart of the matter. Um, So like one case study we had in my first year counseling training was a guy who had major OCD and he couldn't drive on any streets that had odd numbers in them, like Mm -hmm. Fifth Avenue or Seventh Avenue or anything like that. And mm-hmm. these counselors pr- pr- pride themselves. They're not giving them a Bible verse and saying, oh, don't be afraid and stop having OCD and trust Jesus. That would be very surface level. These guys pride themselves on sitting down with this guy for hours and hours of sessions and learning that um, he's really struggling with sexual urges. And when he's in church, he's constantly thinking about groping other women in church and then that makes him feel guilty about losing his salvation because he feels he has a filthy mind. And then that's the reason he's putting on these obsessive compulsive delusions is to try to regain some sense of control from feeling like he's losing his salvation. So Hmm. they would like pride themselves on being like investigators of the soul to assemble Hmm. that story of what's happening. And so then instead of treating the OCD symptoms, they're going to work on the lust portion. They're going to work on his assurance of 
salvation portion, and then they're going to work on the self-control portion of not um, of not giving in to these um, compulsions. So, like, sure. they they're definitely astute, um, and they're very proud of that personal attention. Which, honestly, in like a for-profit healthcare system. Of course, that might be a better quality of care than that person would get going to see um, a Medicaid therapist who's incentivized mm. to see 500 patients a day. Like, of course, mm. like having that type of personal attention, it's, it might, might cause some benefit in that person's life. Right. But then you have like this incredible non sequitur. Like, I think what's, I think what's so fascinating to me about that is it, it totally tracks with you know, these guys and their sort of peccadillos with, like, your OCD, it's probably the fact that you want to jerk off to the women in church. You know, <laughs> like, it's just... And and I, I'm making light of it, but that is literally what they're saying. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's so interesting that, like, they're looking for a sin and then trying to sort of, like... Which, you know, uh, all pe- nobody's perfect, right? And, and then they're like trying to connect the two things instead of just this guy is you know has a you know has a mental health thing totally yeah yeah and if you if you take it out of like a situation like that where like clearly you should not be in church thinking about groping women that is not healthy behavior like acknowledging (laughs) and addressing that is a good thing even if they're not doing it in a good way uh but like i don't apply this to you know a depressed person who there is a chemical imbalance in their brain and yet they're going to be sitting here for dozens of hours trying to hunt through uh whatever moral failings may or may not exist in their life to try to define something that could really benefit from medication and compassionate care instead of saying the reason you feel like shit all the time uh is because uh you kicked a dog when you were five Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's always, it's easy for us to say this, I will say, but it is true that, like, it's like coming to someone with a gunshot wound and asking them about their porn habits. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And I think the piece that went over in their head went over the counselor, the counselor's uh, head is that if we have this mass epidemic of people developing eating disorders and OCD, this might have something to do with the environment that you've created, so... Maybe we should focus on using the biblical solutions for those things instead of, you know, trying to, you know, uh, doctor each of these individual people who are coming out of the system broken. Mm. Yeah, and what's they somehow managed to do that in a way, though, that's still a, a completely elides like systemic problems like poverty, sexism, racism. Mm. <laughs> like, but yeah, they want to look to the environment, but through this own particular lens of like, how are people being perverts now? Or, you know, like, what what is the, you know, what is the sort of, the through a culture war lens, not a systemic lens. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, basically, yes, your intuition was correct. 50% of biblical counseling is like, where's Waldo, but with porn. They're just trying to find out where the porn watching is happening. <laughs> now, if you get the where's Waldo themed porn, you get, you get a problem. <laughs> Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll just set it up real quick. We already did a little bit, but basically what we're viewing is a selection from the first several sessions of a pastor and his wife 
coming to this biblical counselor, this guy who is teaching classes on this, and this has been recorded and is now being used for instructional purposes. And the basic situation we have is a pastor who, uh, Chris, you were right to point out, is clearly struggling with their own anxiety disorder, uh, mm-hmm. but is also has grown up in this church culture to where all of this is being filtered through failing uh, to live up to the standards that they have set for themselves to be a good pastor. And also, just as importantly, his standards for her to be a good pastoral wife. She is pregnant. She is struggling with depression. uh, And she is uh, just the first 17 minutes of this video are this guy listing his litany of crimes she has committed, things she has failed to do while she sobs softly in silence. And it is... An immensely disturbing display of this guy just being like, uh, she doesn't want to have sex with me. Shocking. Uh, she's not living up to her role as pastor's wife, which is a, a you know, we could do a whole episode on what it means oh, to be God. a pastor's but wife it, and the expectations like, put on that. It, it's like completely coded, though, because that type of pastor knows he can't go in and be flying off the handle about like, oh, she doesn't perform sexually for me and then now i'm really you can't say that so it's like and i'm just really troubled that i when i know inside she's a titus 2 woman and just recently she's just you know and just like coding it in a way that you know just totally Mm. eviscerates his wife in a way that is socially appropriate within christian culture because you can't just complain about your wife yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I gotta say, watching it, it didn't feel that coded to me. I mean, yes, you're right. He's using <laughs> evangelical language, but he is clearly saying, like, I am upset that my wife isn't running the women's ministry properly. I am upset it, it, that I come home and she's tired from like being pregnant and depressed and doesn't want to have sex with me when I want it. Like, he is saying all of these things pretty directly, even though there is this sort of aura of, and I just know her heart and know that she longs for these things. Uh, it's it's a it's pretty blatant. Definitely from an outsider, and I remember listening to sessions and being disturbed by these things, and then even being more disturbed to turn to the counselor. And I think part of their um, system is that if someone is talking about God or quoting Bible verses, you assume the best, and you don't yeah. assume that they're trying to like leverage or maliciously use Scripture to get what they want. You like love believes all things. So then it be, kind of comes a game of who can code what they're trying to say through biblical terms the most uh, nefariously. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, and then we get a section where she's talking about her issues, and what was telling about that is that like, when the pastor is talking and he's talking about the issues he's experiencing, 95% of that is her failings. And then yeah. she starts talking and 95% of it is also about her failings. Like she mm. she mentions Oof. him briefly that he is not caring enough, that he is too invested in his ministry and not making time for her. Uh, but most of it is about her really struggling with feeling like she's not living up to these expectations. And she says at one point, she's like, she knows she's failing. Uh, she's like, I, I know the truth. I went to Bible college. Like, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and I'm just struggling to, like, be able to do it. And it's this really heartbreaking uh, moment of them both agreeing that she's the problem. Uh, when mm-hmm. clearly that is not the case. Like, clearly this is a woman struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. They define it as depression. And then it, the biblical counselor is like, well, we know that this isn't depression that's happening uh, 
for any legitimate reason other than what's in your head because you went and had a physical and depression can be diagnosed by a physical from your doctor. And so basically what we're saying here is getting back to that idea that like, well, if it's not a car crash, if it's not brain damage, if it's not something that a doctor mm -hmm. giving you a physical for your you know, just general health can identify, then the problem is sin. The problem is you. Mm -hmm. And then he goes they, on to describe, oh, go ahead. They would accept physical symptoms like adrenal malfunction or other uh -huh. blood. If you had a major blood loss and, you know, you might test for low potassium or something, they would accept those as physical excuses. But she's she's with child for goodness sakes like uh she's uh mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of hormones there that frankly a male counselor is just not going to know anything about oh particularly in that cultural context yeah exactly yeah specifically when you have already discredited that discredited that as a valid reason um mm -hmm. for things and, did you uh, catch the moment where when she was like expressing her woes and then he reaches over to touch her arm and she like fl she just not even flinches but just like seizes up and shoves him away yes i did see that and it was that w go ahead how, how did it what did you think uh i thought somebody needs to get this woman away from this man because it's just like he is trying to performatively care for her you know she's crying she's been crying for 20 minutes and he didn't do shit like he didn't not until it was her time to talk did he feel the need to try to reach out and express some form of comfort. Uh, he was totally happy to let her sob as he just, you know, listed his her failings uh, to this counselor. But then she reached out, and she does. She both flinches and, like, very, like, meaningfully, like, pushes him away. Uh, and, and that sort of thing just does not get addressed or even noted. Like, if I bet if you zoomed in on the counselor's notepad... Like it just those sort of signals are just over their head because they're assuming that the husband is demonstrating uh, husbandly care and is coming from a good place. It's like this. There's a lot. You could probably spend the whole session just talking. Just pause the session and talk about this for the rest of the next next few sessions. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a really massive red flag, and it it was really scary to me how much pain this woman was expressing that just never registers, just never registers. There's never a moment of like validating that. The closest the counselor comes is telling the pastor that like, hey, you need to be more caring, but it's, you need to support your wife more as she's failing. It's never, you are contributing to this. This is your failure. Uh, you know, you are being this insane, hypercritical, asshole who is mad at their depressed wife for not being a better Sunday school leader like that never comes up it's just oh well you know you should be more loving as you continue to exact these demands upon your partner yes and that that's one of the reasons I would be fine with the three guidelines for biblical counseling that you set off at the beginning if they were um, administered with um, equanimity <laughs> if they if they were able to identify major sets of problems and not um double down on other easily i mean it's easy to tell that the woman is depressed it's a lot harder to detect that the guy has um um a lot of control issues i think this is perhaps obvious but i think probably worth stating that like 
they just, you know, this is the scout blind leading the blind. You know, this is somebody who, like, actually doesn't have the training to properly deal with this because training, you know, for, psych, you know, psychological sort of counseling and relationship counseling and all that stuff actually probably can't be found in the Bible on a practical sense the same way that you can't change your oil in your car that way. <laughs> now, it's not that... The Bible actually is not doesn't have nothing to do with that if you think of it in terms of like a moral sense like you shouldn't go change your neighbor's oil without asking them right like but like you know like it doesn't literally have the instructions for this you know and so you end up these these kinds of people sort of shuffling along looking for a sort of moral mm. end point mm -hmm. you know like that's what it looks like it's like we're trying to come to a point where like we we are acting according to these sort of cultural and moral codes through which we see the bible and it's it's kind of sad yeah very sad it is very sad and and ultimately this biblical counselor's advice is twofold it's to the woman he's like everyone gets sad sometimes like just completely oh. uh, uh, you know uh, obviating any any like clinical depression he's like hey everyone feels down but you just can't let it affect you at all like he he literally defines like well there's down and then there's down and out and we what we want to do is you know everyone feels down but you can't be down and out uh you can't let it affect you in any way and so it's just this this like oh yeah we'll acknowledge that you're feeling this way but if it has any influence on your behavior or actions then we have to like judge you for it and then he tells the husband he's like you need to treat your wife like she's china not tupperware and that is that is the version of loving uh pastoral care and husbandry for this guy is like well you you know women they be fragile so you just you just need to treat her more gently and maybe in there there's some concept of being a more loving and supportive partner but actually what it is is just sexism it's just oh you know you know these women you know how fragile they be yeah and i'm sorry that doesn't really mean anything oh yeah no, so, like of course and i know you, we know that but it's just and i think that's the thing is like even beyond the sort of individual bromides it's just a person encountering things he doesn't understand with two people who are suffering from things they're not given the tools to encounter. Yeah, and then the tragedy being that all of these people agree that this is the only way to receive help, uh, that this mm -hmm. is the only valid method uh, by which uh, progress can be made. And so there is a, a sort of buy-in from everyone that is is really tragic. And, you know, I, I think I watched it and was like, man, fuck this pastor forever. And, and Christopher, you rightly pointed out, like, hey, I mean, like, obviously this guy is doing some pretty villainous shit. But, like, he clearly has his own issues that are also not being addressed by this. And he's clearly been educated and taught to think about his issues in these ways. And that is also a form of victimhood, mm -hmm. even if he is then going on to, mm -hmm. you know, commit those those hardship, horrors mm -hmm. against his wife. Which is... It and remember that this video is being posted as like a as like a flex. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is this is it working great. This is what they use for training. This is this is on their YouTube channel. We watched this on YouTube. This is stuff they're putting out in public. Like the couple consented to this being broadcast because they believe that it will be spiritually beneficial to other couples who are in the same position, which is really messed up because from like an outsider's, mm -hmm. from a bird's eye point of view, the success story, the success in this story is that two people came in with psychopatholo psychopathologies and then they convinced the wife to kind of submit in a 
sadomasochistic way to her husband's psychopathology. And then now they're both living the same problem, but at least they're in it together. And like, that's just, that's a very, that's just a terrible view of success. Yeah, and, and uh, you could apply that that methodology and, and that realization, which is excellently stated, to just complementarianism in general. Like, mm, how so? so? Uh, well, I just think that like complementarianism uh, as a concept is about uh, you know s- women submitting to the pathologies of their husbands. Like, yeah, exactly. That is that is a consistent theme of like, oh, that's what it means to be a quote unquote biblical woman is to deal with your husband's bullshit constantly. Yeah. yeah, and this is just another example of Christians really, really excited to create their own sort of narrow epistemology around things, and except capitalism, as we've talked about, um, or I guess including capitalism, I should say. And you know, it's it's we've talked about it with media, we've talked about it with sort of you know the 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 Dave Ramsey of it all. We talked about it with evolution. It's just creating this like world where their own sort of cultural morality dictates literally everything like it all they think they say it all flows from the bible and they certainly think that but it it really what it flows from is to use their own words against them their specific interpretation of the bible Mm. culturally and otherwise and and every single thing kind of kind of rolls down that hill Mm -hmm. i did have one more example that i found and i i was talking to you guys before we recorded and just being like man one of the things is genuinely tough about this podcast is you dig deep enough into any of these issues and it gets really dark um but i know i know uh and and genuinely uh content warnings uh this is discussion of uh rape and victim blaming um but i found a series of blog posts by samantha field where she talks about growing up in a she describes a christian fundamentalist cult attended a fundamentalist seminary uh where she was raped by somebody she was in a relationship with and as she was dealing with the fallout from that and struggling and and visibly struggling you know she was in an internship at the time and like people can tell that like you know she's struggling and uh she gets called into the dean's office uh, to be lectured for not doing her internship well enough and sort of pry into her personal life. And she's afraid to talk about the sexual assault that she experienced because she knows there's a very good chance she'll be kicked out of seminary for being a victim of sexual assault, which is a terribly common thing that we've seen in a lot of, especially more conservative Christian seminaries, mm-hmm. but really all of them. Um, and certainly something that happened at the you know, Southeastern, the seminary that Zach and I grew up near. Uh, and so it ends with her being mandatorily sent to a biblical counselor. Uh, and I wanted to read a passage from this because I think it really gets to the core uh, danger of this methodology. Um, because she, she ends up breaking down and sharing uh, what had happened with with this woman and uh, I'm gonna read from here. She says, I want you to understand that the woman I was speaking with was so very obviously loving. She had dedicated her life to helping women like me because she had been through it herself. She sympathized. I hadn't met anyone this empathetic in a long time. She encouraged me to open up to the dark silences in my head, to confront what had kept me trapped and confused. She told me I couldn't afford to pretend and ignore my emotions, but I should allow them to enrich my life instead of stifling them in the name of temperance. But she also told me two things. The first was that my attempt to take part of the blame for what had happened to me was healthy and correct, that I was right to look for the ways in which I might have been responsible. 
Everything she said were things I had heard before, that it was good I was recognizing where I hadn't been a victim, that I was choosing to shoulder my choices. This was good. It meant I could stop it from happening again if I took the opportunity to learn from it. The second thing she told me was that I was a poisonous well and that starting a relationship with this new man that I had met in the time since my assault would be to his detriment. If we were in a relationship while I was still ensnared by my past, I would pull him away from following God and I would damage our new relationship to the point where it couldn't recover. Oof. Oof. And uh, yeah, it's something we've talked about before on the pod, but one of the truly scary things about something like this, something like biblical counseling and so many other issues in evangelical culture is that, is it created by monsters with poor intentions? Often, yes. I don't think any of us are under any presumptions that Jay Adams, I mean, maybe he does really think that he's helping people. But, uh, you know, I think on some level, we know from his 150 books how reactionary his worldview is, how much he wants, he created this thing not to help people, but to uh, prevent people from encountering uh, help from other sources. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also people like this biblical counselor, like this woman who is trying to be loving with the tools that she has been given and perpetrates great harm, victim blames a sexual assault victim, makes her feel dirty and used up, you know, calls her a poisonous well, and thinks she's being loving while she does it. Did you, did you get the sense from the blog that she's doing, how, how is this person doing now? Uh, so Samantha is, uh, on her blog, it says that she is like, uh, you know, engaged in, she said, I grew up in a Christian homeless fundamentalist cult but escaped as a young adult now i write about being a bisexual woman and abuse survivor exploring intersectional feminism and liberation theology um so this is this has become you know something she's talked about a lot and there's a lot of stuff on the blog about this but yeah she's dedicated part of her life to sort of unpacking these issues and addressing it so in that sense i think you know she is doing well she is processing but uh you know i what a what a hellscape to go through i'm not even sure what else to say about that michael Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I thought it was important to bring up, um, not because I love bringing things down on the podcast, but, uh, but because there is, there's something really, really scary about telling somebody that you have the tools to help them and then harming them and, and training other people that this is how you help people. An extra layer of darkness in that is, um, what these churches are teaching girls in their teens about being valued for not having STDs or being sexually pure or whatnot, or not being physically advertising themselves to men results in a lot of problems um, in later in life that then they get penalized for and chastised for in biblical counseling. And it's kind of like they're, they're, selling the sickness and the cure yeah selling the sickness nice. and claiming to sell the cure it's it's a heck of a heck of a jump yeah i think uh you're right to connect it to larger issues of purity culture we discussed that a lot on our episode with kim but yes mm -hmm. like there is there's a lot that goes into that um especially like in seeing in some of these cases of like women who are grieving over like not being able to conceive or something like that and are depressed and it's like well i'll you, yes, you can focus on the individual's um, control of their mental state, but also think about it, this 
what environment did this woman come from and what did you contribute? And so that eye of scrutiny from the counselors never get, despite counseling, I, I can't tell you how many guys have been in like counseling for, for pornography for a decade and, and think maybe something, maybe something's wrong about the environment that they're in and not about um, their resolve to fix their individual resolve to fix the problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is, I don't know if I have like, you know, really anything super deep to sort of close this with, but something I've sort of been thinking about that I think is more of a question than an answer is how do we, when we, you know, this podcast is predicated on sort of looking in many ways at the sins of sort of Christian culture and you know, I've got a lot of sort of developing thoughts on sort of sort of American morality and sort of concepts of right and wrong that mm-hmm. I, that I think are so entrenched in it, and, and I, I think it's 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 I, I'm curious to know how we as Christians, if there's a way to move forward, and what that even looks like coming out of this history, and and I I think for me that's more of a question than an answer, but it's been on my mind a lot. Hmm. Yeah, whether whether uh, specifically the sort of like um, upbringings that we grew up in, like what would redemption look like for that? How do we how do we build a faith that actually reflects uh, the teachings of of scripture? And you know, we talk a lot about liberation theology, and uh, you know the the aspects of Christianity that have been uh, genuinely on the side of the oppressed. Uh, across a huge swaths of history uh, not common mm-hmm. always always a very small segment but certainly present um, it, through a variety of disciplines and times and cultures that said I don't know how you connect the dots between the church experiences that we had growing up and that so many people still have and something that can actually help and reflect God's love I, I, I don't know how you get from one to the other and you know as we've talked about with the SBC like when, when you're currently debating which level of Nazi you want to be your president, I don't know how you get from that to like doing the Lord's work. Uh, let's transition out of this. Let's take a little bit of time, Christopher. You have been working on a project, a YouTube series of sorts. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure, I'd love to tell you about that YouTube series. To, to close off the, the counseling thing, I wanted to tell you one fact about Jay, the founder of counseling, Jay Adams, that might that yes. might summarize it all nicely, which is that um, in the 80s, he was a very busy man um, uh, building this industry, shall we call it, flying to conferences, counseling 100 hours a week to, to such a degree that in the 80s, he actually had to be hospital, hospitalized for chronic like heart fatigue. and was had to stop traveling and had to step down from his position so to me that is clearly not healthy and the whole system is blind to how that is not like great zealous zealotry for the lord and like you're running yourself into the ground like that that might be a red flag that like the there might be some anxiety and some mortal terror running this engine that is deeper than just trying to help people and help couples. And it's like the, the pathologies of the founder are just go, are completely invisible. And, uh, and the industry focuses on a lot of other types of problems, but that, that doesn't really get talked about with. That's really fascinating that, 
he himself encountered some of the issues that he is so quick to discredit. Mm. But in that culture, that's like a good thing. Like, oh, he, he was loving God with all of his heart, right. mind, yeah. and soul. Right. And it's like, well, actually, that's religious fundamentalism can come from a pretty weird place. Like, great, you someone came in with obsessive compulsive disorder and you got them to stop checking their alarm clock 50 times, but swapping that out for like making detailed diagrams of Isaiah and how it lines up to the gospel and um, obsessing over that is like maybe not a therapeutic benefit. Mm. Hmm. That case study was me <laughs> yeah. as a teenager. Ooh, there you go. That is that is quite a way to close this off, Christopher. Um, I'll we'll just let's just redo it. So we are on a more way more fun sort of uh, sort of transition here. You have been creating a new YouTube series that I've been really enjoying, and in some very gentle ways, I actually do think points to perhaps alternate ways of thinking about faith. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it, CDC? Well, it's a seven part video series so far on YouTube. Um, and I would like to come out on um, this podcast, Shitty Christians, to say that it does have a bit of a Marxist agenda. <laughs> <laughs> so who's ever watching, wow. if I'm running for office in the future and someone is like combing through everything, I, that's probably going to, you know, uh, yeah, when, I'll, plant, when I'll plant that. Faith Baptist Church hunts you down in the street. They'll 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 know that they're ending <laughs> socialism. Yeah, but it's a bit of a critique of a church. But I coming from a lot. I don't know how much you spend on time on like evangelical TikTok or Twitter, but a lot of the ways of of um, critiquing the church are are frankly not very good. And like Marx had some better ideas about how to do it. I watched the first couple of episodes, and I have to say, I love them. I thought it, they were, it was it was a really fascinating sort of like easy deep dive into sort of elements of Christian culture that I thought was a great companion piece of this pod. We'll definitely put a link to it in the description uh, of this episode. Um, As always, else with like? our podcast, uh, yes. you know, we will be the bloviating assholes that rail against the uh, the crimes of Christian culture, but we will also try to point you to people with actual good thoughts about how to do it better. <laughs> Um, we're never going to be those people, but we will try to help no. you find them. <laughs> With like COVID happening, like everyone took a pause kind of from their spiritual practices. I don't know when the last time you guys were in a physical church before. Um, sure. I'm like... not familiar with this word. What the... <laughs> <laughs> I've been way more recently than I'd care to admit. So go go on. But like as things are like kind of opening back up and people returning to habits, like it's a really weird time and a really weird opportunity where like these things that we do as Christians that we had kind of gotten used to or like reified, I guess we are just seem weird mm -hmm. things like, like praying in public. It's just like, what? That seems very strange. Like, you know, when you're uh, go on a trip for a while and come back to your house and see the inside of it for a while. And you're just like, something's kind of off, but I can't really tell. It just strikes you as weird. Um, so I wanted to do a series that kind of looks at these really basic things about, uh, Christianity to try to make them feel a little bit unusual again, like uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper, even like why we meet in corporate auditoriums at all. Mm, <laughs> That's like mm -hmm. a really weird, really weird thing. Um, and uh, to try to make, I guess, 
to, to try to think about why we do these things and what, what if there's any nugget of truth underneath them or if it's just a bunch of accumulated habits that we've kind of sanctified. Yeah, I love that. Mm. A chance to, to look at look at these habits and norms with fresh eyes and uh, maybe with a little bit of a, a critical goal of just sort of examining the value of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I found it very helpful. And like I said, you know, we at Shitty Christians love to tear it down. And, and I think what's nice about this is there's, it, I don't know if it's rebuilding it so much as reexamining it and seeing what is of value there. And uh, I got, I've definitely gotten a lot out of what I've watched so far and can't wait to check out more. So mm-hmm. what we're saying is Zach and I, uh, parody, parody Minecraft, are going to burn down that church across the street from you. <laughs> and then we'll leave it to you to build it up. <laughs> Just call Herzog over and and talk over the the simmering ashes, you know, talk about the death of evangelicalism. That would probably be a that'd be that'd be a good project. Hell yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. Get Herzog on the phone. Let's fucking go. The death of God is not unexpected here in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you took the mantle of the Herzog impersonation, Zach. That's now officially your. That's now officially your thing. Every time he's mentioned, it's it's got (laughs) to be you. I have to do the act out. Uh, I don't do many voices, but the ones I do are bad. (laughs) Uh, Christopher, Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. So that. If you, the infamous TikTok, my handle is the same for YouTube. The channel is called Rock Bridge Island, and you can search for that, and it'll it'll be on my uh, channel page. Excellent, yeah, uh, very good stuff. Highly recommended. Uh, if you want to send Christopher a letter uh, telling him to not trespass <laughs> on anything in your life, whether it's a church, a home, yeah. a supermarket, mm-hmm. uh, you can find all the information yep. there. Evidently, it's quite easy. It's... Yeah, we, we will have his address in the description. <laughs> Social security number, uh, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, rising uh, sign, you know. Oh, man. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Zachary Allard. You can find me at Zachary underscore Allard on Twitter. My name is Michael Tabor. You can find me at Michael Tabor. Follow the pod at shitty underscore pod, which also has a link to our Discord if you want to chat with some other cool uh, people, including a bunch of Christian commies, as well as uh, lots of other folks. Uh, check it out. Thank you.